Before we begin this podcast, we would like to include a trigger warning. This episode contains some harsh language and sensitive topics such as substance abuse and violence. Listener discretion is advised. Thank you for joining us on the New Milford Youth Agency podcast from YM Media. I'm your host, Annabelle Colonna, and our guests today are Matt DeLuca and Michael Gilles. Michael, thank you so much for reaching out to us and hopes that we can all learn from your journey. Um, and we invited Matt DeLuca here to help us with this important topic. So would you mind both introducing yourselves and briefly telling us why this topic of substance abuse and recovery is important to you? First, uh, my name is Michael Lees. Um, it, it's a very important topic to me. You know, I'm born and raised in New Milford. I struggled through addiction, battled life, and I made it only hard on myself. And today where I'm at after going away for a long time to, to prison, um, I, I believe life's all about the give back. You know, the payback, if you will, and paying it forward, doing the next right thing to help people through life. And I do everything I can in my power to help people. And I know addiction. I know it. I'm not going to say I know everything, but I have a wide variety of uh, knowledge in it and everything. That's that's why I'm here today. And, uh, yeah, my name is Matthew DeLuca. I am a a person in recovery, and I also uh, work as a regional manager for business development for a brand-new virtual resource that's available to Connecticut residents called Confidant Health. Awesome. I mean, our main mission here at the Youth Agency is just to help young people reach their fullest potential. Um, So we're hoping that by having you here today, we can continue to send that message um, that help and hope is out there, it's available um, and if you are struggling with anything, you know, you're not alone. Um, but just to start off, um, we know that some words like abuse, addiction, recovery, um, some of those terms are just kind of thrown around. Um, would either of you like to clarify any of those terms that are used or address other terms that are misused or important to just be aware of as we're talking about this? Uh, yeah. Um, so... Word language is, is extremely important uh, when dealing with you know these issues. Um, I think language is probably one of the major contributors to the, the current stigma that we face um, when dealing with substance use disorder. I think the the main one, and this is something that I even myself, you know, even after being in this industry and being a person in recovery, I still struggle with, but the the idea that you know, I, myself, or, or Michael would be clean, you know, and I think um, it's hard for people to understand why that would be a bad thing, but you have to also look at what the opposite of clean is, and that's dirty. So, although, yes, a, a lot of the life and, and choices that, that I made, um, you know, could possibly have been considered dirty, we don't want that negative connotation. So, being understanding of, of what what language is important to use um, is, is a big part of it. And I think one thing, kind of rule of thumb you can go with is, would you want someone talking about you that way? And if the answer is no, then probably don't say it about someone that's struggling with substance use disorder. Yeah. Michael, do you have anything to add on that? I, I really don't. That, that was absolutely beautiful. Well, well said. Thank you. But I like that. I guess I never thought that like the opposite of queen is dirty. So like yep. to use that word, it does have that almost negative connotation, you know, the other way around. And that's not something you want to throw on anyone or label them that way. Um, so for both of you, this is just another kind of clarifying question. Do you think it's important when we're talking about this um, 
does the type of drug that we're talking about matter? Like, does it matter um, whether it's marijuana, cocaine, alcohol? Like, do you think that makes a difference or, you know, is substance abuse, substance abuse? And that conversation just needs to be had no matter what it is. It's the same kind of conversation that will come out of it. Me personally, my, my view on it is substance abuse is substance abuse, you know, because there are some people that can do things in moderation, function properly and everything like that, go to work nine to five or whatever hours you have, come home, you know, have a beer or something like that. Cool. And then you have people who just go above and beyond, can't function properly with or without and everything. So I, I, I believe whether it's marijuana, you know, cocaine, heroin, crack, liquor, you know, alcohol, whatever, that... Um, it, it, to me, you know, from my experience through life, you know, and I can't speak for anybody else or anybody else's struggle. I know for me, a substance abuse was a substance abuse, not anything else. Yeah, I think the only thing, and I agree 100%, um, but I think the only thing I would add to that and the only thing I've seen where the substance itself actually matters is when determining, um, like, the severity or, like, how long the onset is, right? So... Uh, I have family members have, that struggle with alcohol, and I my you know drug of choice was opioids. Where I got myself with opioids in the course of seven years, it took family members of mine fifty years with alcohol. So it, it can it can alter things in that perspective, where you know certain substances are more severe than other substances. But once you kind of get to that point. I think addiction is a different, you know, addiction. That's well said, too. Yeah, for sure. And so I know now, you know, you started your nonprofit, um, and now you're working to help people in recovery. And Michael, you're starting your journey and trying to help others. Would you both mind talking a little bit about your goals for that, how you're trying to, you know, move, put these actions forward and your, you know, your goals for the end process? Yeah, sure. Um, So... The first nonprofit I started was about six years ago. Uh, I was kind of just entering into recovery and I wanted to give back, right? I, I Same thing, I, I found this passion for helping people and I knew that helping people was going to be a big part of my recovery story and a part of what you know was a, a good thing for me moving forward. Um, so I, I founded an organization actually with my mother, uh, that, that focused on working with the family members and loved ones of people who were struggling. And what we did was set up hope and support groups all over the state of Connecticut that offered free resources and free support to the family members. Um, from that, uh, about two years ago, a good friend of mine from high school reached out to me. He had gone through the process of creating uh, a piece of healthcare technology and that worked with people with physical therapy. And he had been very successful with that. He wanted to, to do more and to do something with substance use disorder. Uh, and he reached out to me, knowing the work that I was already doing. And uh, that started a process that two years later is now Confidant Health. And what Confidant Health is, is a virtual uh, network of behavioral health and mental health providers that exist on an app, a virtual platform called Confidant Health. It's available on iOS or Android devices. Um, and our main mission, our main goal is to eliminate or reduce the barriers that are keeping people from accessing help or accessing treatment. Oh, that's awesome. That's really cool. Awesome. And how about you? What is your, you know, um, I know that this is kind of new for you. This is just starting. I know you have big plans. But so far, um, 
what have you been doing and what are your goals? Um, so far for, um, for starting off, you know, as we all know, every building, every structure, every, anything in this world has a foundation. So me, as Michael Villis, you know, I tarnish my name very bad out here in this town, you know, and so I'm trying to get my name back out there for positive vibes, you know, let them see that I have changed and everything. I already got the blessing of the mayor to come out here, you know, Mr. Keith Bass, and start, you know, networking out here with some local businesses and everything, which I have already a couple on board who are willing to support me in my, in my uh, journey. Um, but my overall goal um, is to design a vocational educational program, you know, you know, to have, you know, whether it's carpentry, plumbing, roofing, baking, hairdressing, and everything, because it's not just a male thing. It's females are getting involved, young, old, you know, everything. So addiction can hit anybody at any time. And, and I want to be there to help and, and show kids, whether it's kids, teenagers, or older people, you know, that there's a different way to life than sitting in the basement, getting high, doing this, whether in your basement or out in you know, a field or, or, or whatever, you know. And, and I want to design that program. And again, it's not going to happen tonight. It's not going to happen tomorrow. But I'm not going to stop either, you know. Mm -hmm. And I want to do whatever I can, whatever it takes for kids, youth, adults to identify and feel comfortable. Because that was my thing. I never felt comfortable my own skin years ago, you know. I always saw, oh, poor me, this and that. Why is this happening to me? And I always remember at meetings and stuff like that, there was a sign, you're not alone. And it took me a long time to identify the, the meaning of that sign. And through the addiction and everything, you know, it, I'm not alone. You know, and so I want other people to feel that comfort of not being alone, that sense of abandonment, you know, and and just help in any way I can, you know. And right now I am starting ground zero, you know, fresh out of prison, you know, been out on my own for seven months now. And the little bit of time that I do have right now to get everything going, I, honestly, I'm beyond proud of myself for the support I have and the couple businesses I already have on board to, to come and help me and that back my idea. Yeah, for sure. I, I just want to piggyback because I love that. I think it's amazing. Um, it also gives people purpose. Yeah. You know, I, that was yeah. one of the biggest things for me is like when I got into recovery, I didn't know who I was. Yeah. I had just spent the last however many years of my life doing destructive, Absolutely. terrible things. Um, and I didn't know as an adult male who I was. Yeah. Right. So stuff like that. All of a sudden, that person, right? I'm an electrician. I'm I'm a hairdresser. I'm. Yep. It, it gives them that purpose. It gives them something to be. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm gonna pick it back up that too. And that's my biggest thing. When I was away in prison, and when I am today, like I have a day off. I'm like, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? I need to wake up and feel as if every day I have purpose. Because if I don't, that's when the negative stuff starts happening. You know, the mind starts going this and that. I got nothing to live for. I got nothing this, nothing that. I mean, granted, today it's not that bad. You know, <laughs> but uh, you know, back in the day, you know, doing all the drugs and doing all the stuff that I was doing, it's like I had no purpose. And then you get that self pity feeling, this and that, and then you you self medicate to cover and mask those feelings, you know, those yeah. thoughts and emotions, whatever. You know, and, and and I posted on Facebook a while ago. I said, years ago, I cried because I was hurt. Today, I cry because I can feel. You know, and like I could watch a show like Ellen DeGeneres and see the the, 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 the kindness in her heart helping people, this and that, and I get emotional. What's yeah. happening to me? Who 
where am I now? You know, you know, soldier coming home videos. Forget about. Oh yeah, I'm, I'm all in my eyes. Absolutely. Out. You know, and that's what I cried. You know, I have I have a heart today. You know, years ago I did it, and, and I know I have purpose, and I wake up every morning with a purpose. Whether it's go walk out on the beach, say hi to somebody, go to work, help people there, and everything. And, and that's the biggest thing for me is to feel it. And, and I love how you said that, man. I'm so happy you brought that up. You know, to feel it as if you have purpose. You know? Yeah, I love that. I've, Last year when I took a psychology class and we, we covered our addiction and drug unit, um, we watched a TED Talk, which we'll, I'll make sure I put it in the links below. Um, and they the, the whole purpose of the TED Talk was the opposite of addiction is not um, like being sober, it's connection. And I loved that because I yeah. thought that that was such a like, because that makes sense. And you think about it, if you give people you know, something to do with a purpose, Absolutely. you know, something to work towards, like that's going to help that recovery process. And I just thought like, for me, that was a totally new perspective to see it from. And now like, that's always what I think of. I don't think of it as like the opposite of doing drugs is not, and you know, yeah. just doing whatever it's like having something that you're, you're passionate about and that you're doing. And so I love that you both brought that up now that like, that's true. Like that's really yeah. what happens. hundred percent. So I guess my question, um, like going along with that would be, what was the the moment where everything sort of turned around for you? Like what, I guess I'm trying to figure out how to word it correctly. Like in what moment did you decide, like, I'm going to turn things around? I mean, that, that could be a question for both of you. When did you decide that like, no, I'm, I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm going to, you know, turn over a new leaf, change the direction of my life and, you know, turn it positive and bring all those positive vibes that you were talking about earlier. If you got an answer, go ahead. Go. I just try to be respectful. No, 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 absolutely. I'll definitely take you back off. Yeah, 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 no doubt. Um, For me, honestly, you you would think sitting in the courtroom, shackled up in chains like like a monster, would have done it. It didn't. Not gonna lie, it didn't. Um, When I was in in prison in New Haven County Jail in Waliav, I was still using in there, smoking crack and all this stuff. And I I remember it was Officer Sherwin popped my cell AR9. And, uh, you know, I, I just blew up again. And uh, he goes, oh, Mr. Gleach, you got a visit. I said, I got no visits today. Lock the door. Pops it again. He goes, get out. You got a visit. I'm higher than a kite on the windiest day ever. And I go downstairs. It's my mother. And I'm tweaked. And we're behind a plexiglass window on a little phone on like, like a two-foot little cord. You got to get a, It's all messed up anyway. Thank God he gets off. We don't have ever experienced that. And... Um, my mom just looked at me. She hung the phone up and just started crying. That was October 18, 2010. And, and she just bawled. She says, I can't do this anymore. And I said, Mom, what's wrong with you? She was not. It's not me, Mike. She was, what's wrong with you? And I said, nothing. She was looking at you. You sweating? I said, no, no. I said, Mom, they got me on some allergy medication. It's got a hold of me. I, I got to get them to switch it. She didn't believe that. I didn't believe it, you know? And and that, that was the day everything changed. That that was the day my mom. I watched my mom walk out, and just disgusted, crying, like embracing the walls. She she was leaving the prison after driving an hour from Buffalo to New Haven to go see me. You know, her own son screwed over the century. You know, and I sat in my cell. And I threw everything out, flushed everything, and I said, I can't do it anymore. I can't. You know, and, and from that day, that's when I decided to start changing my life. Now, there have been other situations that came into play that made my drive stronger, you know, but that, that's the main thing. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, you know, while you were talking, it made me think of, of a, a situation. And, you know, it was the last, I was in treatment, the last treatment center that I, I had ever gone to. And just like the five before that I had gone to, I had every intention of walking out those doors and doing the exact same thing that I was doing before I walked in. And for about two and a half, three weeks of this treatment process, I would go in for my one-on-one -on -one sessions with my counselor, and I thought I had everybody fooled, right? Um, and I, because I did for five <laughs> previous treatments, you know, I could tell them anything they wanted to hear, and I knew that all that good stuff would get reported back to the, the loved ones that I had. They would be thinking I'm doing great, and I would be able to come out of there and, and have less, you know, restrictions on me. I'd have less eyeballs on me. Um, I could get away with more. And it was about two and a half weeks into my treatment process and my counselor, I was, you know, probably on like this 20 minute spiel about how great I was. And she looked at me and she said, are you done? And I, it took me back. I was like, what? What do you mean? She's like, when you're done, when you're done bullshitting, we can get real and we can actually start doing work. And I thought, you know, like, I'm going home in a week and a half. Like, what is she talking about? And, and I'm not going to say that that was, like, the aha moment that I was like, oh, uh, everything's better. But I started to trust her at that point. And I knew that, I knew that she was there for the right reasons. Um, and the best way I could describe it is I'm a, uh, Good Will Hunting is a great movie, yes. one of my favorite movies. I always wanted the therapeutic relationship that Matt Damon had with Robin Williams, mm -hmm. right? I wanted that type of connection, and I never felt I could find it. And in that moment, I thought, maybe this is possible, right? Maybe I can have that type of relationship with this, this person. And I did, and I did. And what was supposed to be a 30-day treatment program, I stayed for 90 and just to, so I could work with her. And I stayed living in that area after I was discharged for another year just so I could work with her. And for me, allowing someone into my life that I could trust like that was game, a game changer, you know? Because um, I, I didn't trust, you know? I didn't trust anyone. And to this day, other than my wife, she, this, this counselor, knows more about me than any other person in the world, you know, and is a large part of the reason why I'm, I'm sitting here today. So I guess, yeah, uh, that, that moment of her kind of calling me on, on my shit was a game changer for me. Yeah. Well, I, and I really love that because I feel like, and even, you know, outside of substance abuse, but mental health in general, getting that, you know, counselor, whoever that you trust is one of the biggest parts. And, you know, I've had friends who, you know, we'll go to a counselor, like, oh, I hated this one. Like, you know, this sucks. I'm never doing that again. It's like, it's, it's about finding that person who you trust. And I feel like that's always such a big thing. And I love what you said just about your mom, how like that family connection, like that's such a big part of, it. I feel like, you know, whenever you, these conversations come up, family is one of the biggest Absolutely. parts and one of the biggest, you know, game changers at the end of the day. Yeah. Cause like those are, that's your family for life. Yeah. Like they're no, no doubt. And, and real quick. And I know through my course of addiction, I, I betrayed my family so much, and as as the addict, the addict mentality years ago, you know, like I literally stole a TV at my parents' house while they were watching that thing, you know, 
And I did, I, I'm not going to lie, I did a lot of destruction with my family because I felt as if they loved me and they'd forgive me, mm-hmm. you know? And today, years ago, I used to call my mom or my dad when he was alive, and uh, I need this, I need that. Click. Today, I call anybody in my house, my parents' house, right? They live right up over here by McDonald's and Sherwood Drive. And uh, at the drop of a dime, they'll be there for me. For anything. Mm-hmm. I need, I lost $1,900 out on the beach the other day to pay for my new place. No problem here. She wants to give me the money. What? Years ago? I couldn't get a dollar for a soda, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and today, where I'm at in life, it's just beautiful. And, and to piggyback over something you said, my favorite word of all time trust. You need to find that. You know, I'm not saying you're with you, right? <laughs> yes. but, yeah. but that is the strongest thing to have. That's what builds a bond because as broken as addicts are on the inside, because we're, we're broken, there's no question about it. And that's what put us through the situations that we were in and, and the reasons why we did what we did, you know. And even if it's just one person and you can find that trust, that will build you so strong, so strong. When I'm, yeah, obviously, it's no secret I was away. When I was away, there was a, there was a CEO, Mr. Barnett, and uh, Mr. Rickson, two, two people. They pulled me to the side all the time because somehow, like, when I first went in, I was a rebel. You know, I got tickets for trying to fight the warden, the commissioner, taking the CEO hostage. You know, I, I didn't learn at first. You know, I'm still messing up in there. And through the time, the duration of time, either way, they always saw me. And then I got transferred to another facility. And by chance, whatever there is for a higher power, the creator, I call it, you know, I'm big with Native American spirituality and everything. Um, these same officers that saw me when I first came in got transferred to a facility years later that I was in. And they're like, Mike, I'm doing this. I'm doing all right. And they always pulled me out of the units, pulled me from work, sat me down in like a little room or go for a walk in the perimeter of the whole compound. And they talked to me. Like a human, not just a caged animal, to which you get a lot in there, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, they saw through the fog that I had around me, you know. They took the time to invest into helping me change my life. To this day, I still call up to the prisons. I send them pictures. I write letters to a couple of inmates that I met in there who were also very good, positive people who, who understood the battle of life and everything like that. And, and I just still in, I trust in a few people, and it still keeps me going today. I mean, granted, you know, I do a good job on my own, too. But to know I have that support group and everything, yeah. you know, there's an addiction service counselor in Carl Robinson, named Miss Norton, and she knows the struggle firsthand, you know? Mm-hmm. And I, I call I call her every week. Miss Norton, how are you? She goes, oh, my God, Mike, you're never going to stop calling. I said, never. So you took the time to help me. And I'm always going to give you that respect back to let you know I'm still doing good. Your work's paying off. You That's know? awesome. And you can have a group of 1,000 people. If you can help one and find that one really broken person in that group, and build a trust with them and build a bond, they'll never break it. Priceless, you know? And, Priceless. and I commend you for saying that. You know, how you stayed longer. You stayed in the area. It's an anarchy originally. I was up here in the Melford, born and raised. I had an opportunity to get out of prison early. Go home on parole to go right up the street. I denied it. That's how I wanted it. I said, take your parole and throw it out. I said, because I don't want to go back to the same area. My crimes I committed were local. 
And I said, I want to go out to a place where I don't know anything or anybody, and I have the time to focus on me. Mm-hmm. It's been working out great. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And I love all these things that you said, just the trust and, you know, knowing what you needed. Like, because both of you have both, you've said the similar things with the trust, but also like individually, you have your own things that helped Absolutely. you both through your through your journeys, um, what other things helped you or you've seen help other people that like people listening who are struggling or they know people who are struggling, like they could try to reach out for those things or grasp those things in their life? Um, you know, I, I think people need to come outside of themselves and, and the way that they do that is by giving back. You know, that was... I often, you often hear this, right? Anybody can, can, can stop using drugs and alcohol. Very few, or not to say very few, but it's a lot harder to stay stopped. And the way I stay stopped, you're looking at it. You know, giving back, doing stuff like this, getting a message out about hope, right? There, there is hope because for years and years and years, I was one of the hopeless variety, right? There were definitely more than a few people making bets on the fact that I wouldn't make it till 25, you know? Um, How old do you know? I'm 34. And we're, Seems good. Yeah. So, so yeah, you know, uh, today, my life is service, you know, and, and giving back and, and being able to, to reach out to and communicate with the people that were in the exact same situation I was. And that's honestly... It, it can even be looked at kind of selfishly because I, I, I part of why I do that is for myself. Um, but people get a, a, a huge bonus in, of, in the process. I guess the most important or biggest help factor to you during your journey? The biggest thing was humility. Putting my pride to the side, realizing and identifying that I have a problem. And I guess you could say soul searching to figure out what I have to do to change it. And I realized I had what I had to do. I had to change everything. You know, I couldn't even stop using the drugs and alcohol to whatever it may be, to whatever degree. And you still hang out with the same people, do all this, do all that. They're doing all the same things around you. So it's a matter of time before you get back into that cycle. You know, even though you want to stop this and that, but then, depending on how your mind is, you're going to be like, oh, you know what, cool, I stopped for a while. Let me start just a little bit here. Mm-hmm. That little bit is a snowball effect and addiction. You know, especially once you realize there's a problem, you don't have the control of it. Like, again, I said earlier, some people do. Some people go, you know, get high at night, whatever, go to work in the morning, this and that. But I can't, you know, I know I can't. Yeah. And so I had to change everything. Location, people, friends, jobs, everything. Because I know I can't be around certain things, you know. Mm -hmm. And am I going to say, hey, I got a huge, the best grasp on the world today? I, I don't. You know, for I know I know what I have, I'm happy with it. I know my friends today respect me, my story, my life, where I'm at today, what I've experienced, and people won't bring anything around me, you know, because I don't hang out, first of all, with people are doing stuff, you know, and I'm, I'm happy, you know, but that, I would say that's the biggest thing, you know, the humility, throwing the pride to the side. So many people are so, so prideful, I don't have an issue, I don't have this, I don't have that. But yo, I'm not saying everybody, but you know, everybody has some yeah. issue and everything like that. But the best thing is humble yourself enough to and reach out for help. Yeah. You know, and if you could identify in your life that there's the smallest problem, 
ask for help. Because mm-hmm. you know what? I never thought that help was out there. Never did. 12 years ago, I've never thought I'd sit right here like this. 12 years ago, I didn't even think I'd be alive today. You know? Mm-hmm. Because I, like I, thought, I, was, I was bad with the addiction. I was real bad. There, there wasn't a store that could go in in this town that wouldn't have their security guard follow me around. There was not a neighborhood in my area up here, which is up behind McDonald's with Sunny Valley Farm and everything, to where if I rode my bicycle down the road, you know, one of my actually had a 1999 specialized fat boy, you know, beautiful bike, you know, and I used to ride that thing all around. And sure enough, two minutes later, a cop car coming up behind me. Because people would see me and fear me, you know? Mm-hmm. Today I don't battle that. You know, why? Because I humbled myself enough to seek the help, get the help, and, and do everything I needed to do. Yeah. Wow. Both of your, your answers, like, just hearing all this stuff is just so, like, it gives me hope for other people. Like, I feel like sometimes when these conversations are had, it's kind of with the, um, the only point of view is prevention. You know, it, it, the recovery isn't always talked about, and it's almost like you don't hear all these success stories and, you know, how it is possible. You just hear a lot of, like, well, here's how to not get into that stuff. Like, we're not going to talk about it afterwards because it's just never going to happen. But the reality is that it does. And so being able to hear this and that, like, there is help and all those things, it's just, it gives me hope. And knowing that, like, if I ever, you know, I I know friends, family who, you know, extended friends and family that, you know, have dealt with this and knowing that, like, it's possible to get out of it and that, like, you know, these people come out of it and they're okay and they can go on to do great things. I'm like, I have a friend, her um, husband passed away from lung cancer. Now she's out doing anti-smoking campaigns and helping, you know, educate and things like that. So hearing it is just like, it's so inspiring. Um, But something you both mentioned is, um, you know, coming out of it, being able to give back and help the community. What advice would you give to people who have hurt either themselves, friends, family, um, loved ones who want to make amends, who want to take that step in the right direction um, what would you say to them to help them get started? Well, I can, I can give the same advice that my sponsor gave me when I was at that point in, in my journey, right, where I wanted to, to make amends or start to repair some of the damage that I had done. And he told me to wait. <laughs> he told me to slow down and wait, Um the reason he wanted me to wait was because I needed to be ready that regardless of what their response was to me, I would be okay. Mm-hmm. Right? I had done a lot of damage, I'm sure you know you can relate. Absolutely. So I had people in my life who had no reason to forgive me. I mean, I had people in my life that had no reason to even allow me to be in the same area as them to, to ask for forgiveness. Um, so I had to really work on myself and, and be at a point in my own life where, like I said, regardless of what the outcome was, whether they tried to take a swing at me, um, you know, whether they cussed me out and, uh, you know, walked away that I could walk away from that situation and be okay and hold my head high. Um, so yeah, I think I think the amends process for anyone in recovery is a is a big big deal, and does definitely shouldn't be uh, should shouldn't be taken lightly, um, because those those secrets that we hold and and the the resentments and the trauma that we hold on to, uh, without that getting 
some conclusion or closure, um, it's bound to, to come back up and, and, and you know, get you when, when you're least expecting it. Mm -hmm. yeah, that would be, that, that was the, the best piece of advice I got or kind of around yeah. that immense process. Yeah, I like, I really like that a lot. Do you have any advice that you would give, Michael? Honestly, I, I, would, I would agree with you 100% on that because that's exactly where my mindset is. You know, getting that closure, making the amends and everything like that. You know, and I'm still battling one part of that. You know, my, my oldest sister, you know, she she doesn't know anything about addiction, doesn't know anything about the lifestyle I chose for myself. And I'm not going to say she doesn't love me, but again, through family, like I, I'll piggyback over what I said earlier, I caused a lot of harm to my family because that was, I did a lot of crime toward them because I figured they'd forgive me the easiest and the fastest, you know, because we're family. Why not? It didn't work that way. And, uh, you know, I, I didn't, you know, took a lot of stuff from her computers and all that stuff. And she's like literally like some rocket scientist at the Cornell University. Extremely, extremely book smart. That's all she knows is studying books, work, and science and all that fancy stuff. And uh, so she can't identify with the struggle that I live, that I put myself through. And yeah, four years ago, five years ago, I finally started getting a birthday card, Christmas card. And today I, I can talk to her a little bit, this and that, and then like, we don't really see each other face to face, you know? We talk on the phone real quick, you know, she'll still send me cards, I'll send her cards, I'll write her little letters, you know, explain it, this, this is why I did it, this is why I did it, but I'm sorry, above all. And uh, so it's taken time, and again, everyone has this view, this thought about felons, criminals, they're all scum, they're this, they're that, you know? and. For years, sitting behind the walls of a prison, I'm always calling, always writing, this and that, and not many people believe the words of, of the addict, you know, especially when you see firsthand what they're capable of doing. And it's not good stuff, I'll tell you that firsthand. And uh, so I think what she's allowing herself to do is just start to see my actions out here, you know what I mean? how I'm living my life, what I'm doing, my choices and everything like that. And since I've been out, there's been more phone calls. There's everything. So, so all in good time, everything is coming around. Yeah. yeah, for sure. What would you say to people who maybe that they aren't themselves struggling, but they, um, you know, they have a family member or a friend who's struggling, what advice or um, just what message would you want to give to them I know that, you know, it's hard. I know it's hard from both ends. Absolutely, absolutely. And, you know, I think that there is sometimes a misunderstanding. Like you, you said, sometimes they just don't understand. They might right. not fully, I guess, comprehend it. So what would you say to those people or what advice would you give? Me personally, I would say never give up on somebody. If you have, if they have a spot in your heart or even a thought in your head, if you think about somebody on a daily basis or weekly basis or whatever, you're invested into that life on whatever level. And if you know somebody battling an issue, whether it's addiction, whatever it is, you know, obviously today's topic is addiction, so I'll stick to that. Um, just don't give up on it. Because when people seep into addiction, in my view, um, it's because they gave up on themselves. They feel alone. They feel closed down and just broken, you know? And knowing that, when I felt the love of a couple of individuals, whether it was somebody from the outside or somebody, like a couple of the officers in prison that I kept stumbling into, 
and everything. And they're like, Mike, we're going to pray for you. You know, so thank you, man. Thank you. You know, because I would, at one time, I wasn't praying for myself. I was, I was, I was literally ready to die, you know. And, and just knowing that I felt so alone, so broken, and just never fixable, to know that there's other people who have my thought, my, my, um, my best at their heart, you know, that gave me the strength. That gave me the hope and wisdom to start applying myself even more. Because there's a point to it where I didn't feel alone anymore, you know, yeah. whether it's from fellow addicts, People from the outside is you want to be, come on, we're gonna help you, we're gonna do this. So that that would have been my biggest thing. Never stop caring for somebody and always allow yourself, allow them to see that you do care. No, I love that. Yeah, I would I would agree hundred percent with what you just said. Uh, you know, one of the, the phrases that's been said so many times in the, the family and, and loved one groups that we set up is you know, where there's life, there's hope. Yeah. You know, when, when there's a breath left in that body, you know, there is hope. And and there's supports, right? There's community supports, much like the, the support groups that I, I we established, you know, six years ago here in, in Connecticut. Um, there's virtual programs like Confidant Health that has resources for families and loved ones. Um, get educated. Get educated. When you know better, you do better. It, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it, and it seems so simple, but... You know, just like you said with your sister, yeah. right? Doesn't really understand addiction. Doesn't really. Neither did anyone in my family, right. right? But then they got educated and they see us in a different light, right? Because now it's not so much of a moral failing. It's oh well, dopamine levels and serotonin, you know, and you understand kind of the science behind what addiction yeah. is, and you realize no one asks for this. You know, I didn't. I didn't wake up uh, one day and just say, hey, you know, yeah. being a heroin addict sounds like a great yeah. life for me. No, you know, I, was, so. I was just talking with somebody about that. Sorry to cut you off. No, no, absolutely. But I was just talking with somebody about that the other day. You know, when, when I was in this school right here, you know, what I mean, the teacher, hey, what do you, what do you want to be? When you grow up? <laughs> oh, a firefighter, a cook, or a policeman, this and that. Nobody raised their hands in a heroin addict or crack junkie. No, no, nobody. Nobody in that room. You know, and it's just so funny. But they, things just happen. You know what I mean? And no, nobody wishes for this. Nobody wishes this upon their loved ones. I can tell you this. I don't have many enemies in this world. Today. I don't think I have any. You know what I mean? And even if, if I did, yeah. I would never wish a drug addiction upon them. Never would. You know? And Because I know how ugly it is. Mm-hmm. Trust me. Trust me, I do. And, you know, obviously, you know, our addictions are different and everything, but through the course of addiction, the stuff we did to get things and conniving and everything like that. You know, it's, a, it's like a, two twisters put together and your life's just thrown in and it gets shot out everywhere and you know, you try to piece it back together. Not many, not, I can't say not many can. It takes a lot of time. It's difficult. You know, yeah. and the dedication, drive, and desire, the triple D's I call them, um, are so strong if you, if you have that passion in your life and try to fulfill it and then put it back together. And, and the, the self-reward mm-hmm. is truly amazing. And years ago, my father always told me, you know, was, you know, before I went to jail, he said, um, Mike, no matter what you do in this world, if you can look yourself in the mirror and like it, that's all that matters. Years ago, I couldn't. Today, I can, you know? Mm-hmm. And that's how I know that I'm not doing right. It's just, just that feeling, feeling blessed waking up every day, no matter where I am. You know, I know I don't have to go rob a Walmart, rob a neighbor's house, this and that to get by in my life. You know, it's just, it's, it's awesome. Yeah, that's awesome. 
Matt, if you don't mind me asking you, um, some because we mentioned this earlier, how some people can, you know, use a drug or alcohol, whatever, in moderation, and and they're okay and they're fine and they don't have to go through this whole recovery thing. What what is that tipping point? How come some people, you know, end up going down this you know deep dark hole, and other people can you know, use these things and then walk away and not have to deal with it. What is, where is that difference? Where is that line? Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the million dollar question, right? Like that, that is the question that everybody that's in this industry or has experience with this, like we'd all love to know like exactly when that point is. Um, Yeah. I think that what we do know is that there's a lot of variables at play, right? There's a lot Mm -hmm. of things that, can contribute to someone finding that path, right? So uh, family, um, having a a predisposition to uh, addiction in your family, right? So aunts, uncles, grandparents, you know, is someone in your family or does someone in your family have a history of this? Because that person would be more susceptible, right? So um, the the chemical makeup of your brain, you know, I mentioned it kind of briefly before, but, uh, you know, your levels of serotonin and dopamine, which are chemicals that are released in your brain that make you feel good or, you know, that you would get from eating something that was very tasty or, um, you know, other joyful or pleasurable activities. Uh, You know, some people don't have as much as others. Some people don't produce as much as others. Um, There's a lot of kind of factors at play. I think the scientific community even hasn't really pinpointed it, right? We know that there are, you know, X, Y, and Z at play, um, but how they kind of interact with each other and 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 what that that line is in the sand, mm-hmm. I think we're still trying to figure that out. Yeah. Are there things that, um, you know, here at the youth agency, we talk a lot about youth issues and, you know, connecting it all back to youth. Um, are there any, like, warning signs or um, situations that can, you know, let you know that someone may be struggling or that someone may be more susceptible to um, that road in the future? I think for, I think the biggest red flag for youth as far as a precursor to possible future trouble with substances um, is the presence of consequences without any behavior change. So, for example, uh, when I was a sophomore in high school, I stole the digital scale out of the science classroom. Now, you can only imagine what I was using the digital scale for. Um, So I was caught red-handed and suspended, and within, you know, two or three weeks of being back at school, uh, I had gotten caught smoking cannabis in my car in the parking lot. So it's like, I got in trouble for stealing that scale, right? I got in real, a lot of trouble for stealing that scale. But that consequence, right, wasn't enough to make me look in a different direction or pivot and, and change a behavior that I was, I was exhibiting. Um, it, it just really almost didn't have any effect, right? So now at that moment, right, as a, a sophomore in high school, um, was I an addict? No, no. But that type of mentality, that way I looked at things and situations was definitely a red flag. Yeah. So, yeah, that was a long way to answer. Uh, no, it was a good answer, though. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, that's that is something to look for, though. That you know, that repetitive action, despite you know all the consequences, like yeah. you know, that's something to look for. Um, and Michael, so you've talked about you kind of suffered that ultimate consequence where you did have to go to prison mm-hmm. for a long time. How do you feel about our criminal justice system and the way that we deal with addiction cases here in our country, in our state, our town? What is your stance on that? It's absolutely horrible. Absolutely horrible. Um, I can say this. If you go on the Connecticut DOC website, you know, because I don't don't know Connecticut because that's where I did my time. Um, It's beautiful. It's well written. It sounds like the people care. They don't. They don't. Now, oh, oh, let me take that back. Like I've said before, there are a few individuals who actually care. That's because they know the struggle itself. You know, who changed their life, got a good job, this and that, and everything. And those are the individuals who really should be running the state when it comes to the justice system, the Department of Corrections, and everything. And it's absolutely disgusting, honestly. You know, everything's, like I said, well written, this and that. But um, when it comes down to it, and I'll give you an example. The numbers are just going to be numbers I throw out there. They're not real. But um, with like the drug courses and everything in prison, they're like, okay, it's a, it's a 25 session group, you know? And first off, you're not going to fix something in 25 sessions. It's, just a, it's a lifetime thing, you know? And my personal opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, these counselors, these therapists, whatever you want to call them, officers, you know, that, that come in to run these programs, you know, I don't say 25 classes, they'll show up for six, you know, and they're just like, okay, yeah, we'll check you off for all these other days, this and that, you know. So, 26 out of 25, that you're actually there, and then four of those six, they just give you a packet, oh, here, go fill that out, and as long as you bring it back, you can write anything you want on that packet, and literally anything. You're like, the grass is green because the sky is blue. And they'll accept it. And they'll just check you off. So the actual care from what I've experienced through the state of Connecticut is not it's not there. You get the care from the individuals who live it themselves, who want to help people, and, and things like this, meeting people like you who actually been through it, struggled it, and everything, and I don't mean disrespect, um, who actually come out, you know, what can I do to help somebody else? That's where the help is. And that, honestly, is what needs to be run the state when it comes to certain things. I'm not saying everything, you know? Yeah. Um, but when it comes to the care aspect, is people, because my biggest thing, and I tell people all the time, and I told the mayor this, I said, I can't get an education from somebody who doesn't know it. And I don't mean social studies or this and that. And everything. I commend everybody for going to school. But um, when it comes to addiction and trying to help and better yourself, I don't want my education from somebody who just learned it out of the textbook. I can't learn from that because you don't know the battle. You don't know the struggle, you know? Mm-hmm. And again, I, I, I commend everybody for getting an education, applying themselves and everything. It's, it's wonderful, but there's certain things that that can only be helped by people who have experienced it. You yeah. know? And that, again, is another reason why I'm out here, you know, trying to put together what I'm doing because I understand it. I know the pain. I know the struggle. And I know the sense of abandonment. And I don't want other people to feel it. Yeah, you know, I was, sure. I was probably this close to death. You know, I, I, I went to, I went away, I went away, I was 165 pounds. And I look like a skeleton walking down. Because the wind, I'm going like a popsicle <laughs> stick, you know? Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's just, that's how bad I was, whether it was heroin, crack, cocaine. Whatever, I was, I was a dumpster. Throw anything at me, I'm going to do it, you know? And, uh, 
But honestly, back, back to the main topic, how I feel about the, the help here in the state and everything, when it comes to the inside and all that, it's not there. It's not there at all. Do you think that there are any changes being made? Is there any progress towards, um, you know, reforms that will, you know, help make more positive impacts to change that experience that, you know, people don't come out with these, you know, it's unfortunate that you have to come out and say, like, I had a negative experience. Do right. you think that anything is being done about that? Honestly, no. No. Because it's all, in, in, in my personal view, it's all the money for the state. They get all these grants and all this stuff and everything. And all these counselors take the time off, not showing up, not reading. Like I said, you can literally write anything on a paper that, and just hand it to them. As long as they see something's written on there, okay, boom, done. You know? And especially, like, and I know this is about addiction and everything like that. This is also another big, big topic in my life, and I'm actually trying to. This is not crazy. I'm trying to join the Connecticut Women's Coalition Against Domestic Violence. The first guy in history trying to get involved with this. <laughs> and I, I lost my best friend Amanda, who also lived right up the street from me. Um, I was on the phone with her, and I listened to her husband stab her, stab her to death. You know, and domestic violence is a big thing, whether it's Connecticut or anywhere. And these teachers come in for the domestic violence classes, and again, the numbers are the same. 25 class, they're there for six, they're only really there for two, you know what I mean? And then people get out, recommit crimes, whether it's through addiction, domestic violence, whatever it is. And then society is so fearful. Oh my God, these people are coming back out into society, this and that. Well, let's look at the real issue. Again, everything is begins with self, you know what I mean? And I can't say, I can't say it differently. But some people need that training, some people need that reinforcement, that structure. You know, to show, okay, listen, this, this is how things are, this is what it, and again, that all has to come from people who experience so somebody can relate and feel comfortable to open up and get that bond of trust, you know? Yeah. And honestly, in, in the system, it's not there. It's not there at all. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I have a, a friend, Brian uh, Sullivan, uh, he's from Hartford. Um, he was involved with a lot of lifestyles out in the streets, if you will. And um, he's actually at the Capitol every other weekend pro- protesting trying to get these new laws and this and that. He did 32 years in prison, you know, and uh, he came out. He, he has a desire, dedication, to drive to help and to, to link up and, and try to make a change, you know, and he'll yeah. tell you the same thing about the numbers and everything, what's in there and what's not, you know, and yeah, honestly, it has to change. And we, we need to start moving, you know, away from a, a punitive policy when it comes to to people that use substances, right? Mm-hmm. It, 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 there, there needs to be a more of an emphasis on on treatment and, and receiving those services, um, and there just isn't. You know, I mean, it started with with um, with Nixon with the war on drugs, and then Nancy Reagan soon after with you know the just say no policy. Um, it's it's always been a negative and a punitive thing, and it keeps people. Silent, right? It keeps people from asking for help because they're worried about the reactions or what people are going to think. There, all that stigma around the use of drugs and alcohol. It's, it's yeah. needs to change. Yeah, that stigma is a big part. I mean, I know people who you know they aren't themselves struggling, but they know people who are. They're afraid to talk about it because because that stigma, that whole like, well, if I'm connected to this person, how is that going to reflect on me right. and stuff? And it's just such a negative connotation with it that's you know preventing people from getting that help and and even in school you know again it's that emphasis on prevention 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 they don't ever really um i don't think emphasize like well if this does happen like 
you can come out of it. Like it can be okay. Like there, it, there are ways, you know, that you can recover and figure all these things out. And I, it should be talked about more. Well, and that's, you just, you know, you hit the nail on the head. And, and the reality is, is that it's the inevitable. It's not so much of like, what, what should we do if this possibly maybe one day comes here? It's like, it's here. Mm-hmm. It, it's happening. Yeah. It's happening all around us. So Rather than, you know, on the off chance that it possibly happens, educate yourself. Get prepared now so that if, God forbid, it happens to you or happens to someone that you care about or that you love, you can be in a position to to actually help somebody. Yeah. I mean, we were talking about before that, you know, it's kind of in middle school, that emphasis of, like, don't do drugs, don't do drugs, don't do drugs. Like, you know, it won't happen if you, you know... You put it out of your mind, like it's not going to happen. Then all of a sudden, high school hits, and like I know it was a big thing for me. All of a sudden, I'm like, "Wow, this is a a normal thing." Like you walk into the bathroom, and there are people smoking, and like, and it's way more common than you think. And it, it's sort of that weird, like, "Well, hold on, that's not that's not what I was told." But right. so, like, what is? And it, there is no correct answer. There is no like right or wrong, really, because I do know people who have done stuff, and they're great people. Like they're good people at heart, and some of them get judged for it and it's like, but you're not understanding that whole. And I think that's part of it. That education helps with that understanding so that it's not so much like, Oh, those people, right? because that's how it is. It's like, Oh, those kids, you know, the bad kids, you know, the druggies, like, and it's a horrible, like that's isolating that whole connection thing. Like that's just pushing people farther and farther away. And I think that's a dangerous thing that can happen too. Um, so that's why, you know, talking about it in a youth context, like, that's where it starts. Like, in yeah. high school, all of a sudden I realized, like, oh, no, this starts now. This isn't like, oh, maybe, possibly future college as I'm walking down the street and I look in now. Like, no, it's, it's happening right. in the classroom. You know, yeah. it's right there. And it doesn't, it, you know, this stuff doesn't, um, I can't think of the word right now. Um, but, you know, it doesn't discriminate, right? No. So, mm-hmm. no, so addiction does not discriminate against any, I mean, I was, I was the, you know, all American boy quarterback of the football team, you know, like literally, you know, like people from the outside looking in would be like, Oh my God, this kid's got it set. He's got it made. His life is perfect. They have no idea. Yeah. No one has any idea. And it's very subtle how this stuff happens to people. So, um, yeah, you know, it's it, it can happen to anybody. It can happen even if, you know, you, you are having it in your mind to, to, you know, start putting some of this prevention to work. Um, it can still it can still be there when you least expect it. So um, being prepared, being educated allows anybody the, the best chance of, of moving out of it and moving forward. Yeah, for sure. And I wanted to ask you quickly, have you seen any changes um, from the standpoint of treatment have you noticed any positive changes in the way that you know we deal with addiction cases and substance abuse over the years i will say yes yes i will say yes um probably not as much as i would like to see but one thing that i can i can say that has changed dramatically over the last 10 years we'll say is the today there are multiple pathways to recovery um, yeah, you know, there's a, a lot more than, you know, just going to meetings or just going to treatment or, you know, there are, are countless, countless ways, um, that, that people can find recovery and, and different therapies that can help them get from a point A to point B. I mean, I did auricular acupuncture the other day for the first time because, 
you know, they're talking about it reducing anxiety. That's one of the things that kind of stayed with me through my recovery is I'm very, I'm a very anxious person. So, um, yeah, you know, I think that, that as medicine evolves, as things change, there's more and more pathways to, to somebody finding the life that they want. And that's, that's a beautiful thing. Yeah, for sure. What do you both think that, um, parents, educators, other adults need to know to help support you and not, you know, not necessarily be like, you know, what you're doing is wrong. You're wrong. Like you need to be fixed, but also not being like, well, it's okay. And, you know, not letting it go, but where, where is that happy medium and how can, you know, these adults, these resources for youth, how can they be better support systems? You got one? Go ahead. Go ahead. All right. Um, so I would say the most important thing, you know, as uh, an authority figure, a parent, an educator, um, whatever it might be, is you want to create a, a safe space for dialogue. Um, I never felt safe enough to tell the authority figures in my life what was going on because I was always worried about what that reaction was going to be. And a lot of times it's because that reaction was a reality, right? Um, I had gotten in trouble. I had been yelled at. I had been blamed. I had been all those things. You know, why don't you just stop? All of that kind of stuff. Um, and it made me shut down. It, it's the large part of the reason why I didn't find recovery until I was 28 years old. <clears throat> I didn't feel I had the environment to, to talk about what was going on with me. And if there's one piece of advice and that I give to parents actively and would give to any parent that I talk to is mind, be very mindful of your reactions to these types of issues. That stuff gets embedded in our brains. Um, and you have uh, mind your reactions and create that safe environment. Those are the, the two main things. I love that. Michael, do you have anything to add? Honestly, you kind of hit it right on the head about being very mindful of how you come at somebody and reactions and stuff like that. Because addiction is masking feelings, hiding, you know? So, and then it all goes back again to that whole trust thing, you know? In that comfort zone and everything, you know? Because I numb my body, my, my mind, my soul, I numb my everything, you know? Because I was fearful of what was out there, not having that trust with somebody and everything, and, and hiding my pain. And if somebody comes at you, especially a parent or a loved one or anything, and comes at you crazy, you know, now your defense is all the way up. You try to put it down a little bit, you know, to seek that uh, acceptance or, or, or that comfort from somebody, you know, the, the trust. And and then when the backlash comes, it's like, yeah, screw this, you know, I'm done. And then your defense is all the way up, and now you're back down there in that basement getting a high, running around the streets, doing this, doing that, and everything. So I think you hit it absolutely perfect. Well said, well, absolutely beautiful, is how I like to describe that. Um, and, and, and just be extremely, extremely mindful, you know. Mm -hmm. And honestly, like like you're approaching a poisonous creature, you know. You don't want to get stung, you know. Okay. And because because it's it's real, it, 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 it's painful, you know. And, and people, you know, family members and friends or whoever, whatever, don't understand the power of addiction, you know, and, and why we're doing what we're doing, you know. Mm -hmm. And because we have our own own. Um, reasons why we're getting high, why we're masking our pain, you know, why we can't cope with reality. And I love how you said that, you know, it's reality. And, and as an addict, an active addict, at what point are we trying to deal with the real reality? You know, we're hiding from it. 
daily, you know, because we fear it. Mm-hmm. I fear it, you know, and, and then so I, I, you said you said one hundred percent perfect. Be, be extremely mindful. Be extremely cautious on your approach, you know. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Matt, for any of our listeners right now who may be struggling or know people who are struggling, where are the best resources that they can turn to for help? Uh, I mean, first and foremost, if you get to a meeting, get to a meeting. Um, you know, there's going to be a, a room full of people. When I say a meeting, I, I, I mean, uh, you know, a 12-step fellowship, Alcoholics Anonymous, Narcotics Anonymous, Cocaine Anonymous, Heroin Anonymous, whatever type of 12-step fellowship you can get yourself into, um, there's going to be somebody there that can support you. Um, taking it a step further, uh, I, I kind of have to give a, sh- a shameless plug um, for Confidant Health. Uh, we, mm-hmm. you know, there's something about a program that was designed by people who understand it and have been there. Um, yeah, you sure. know, we, we took all of the, the stuff we've been talking about today in mind when creating this program. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I'm, I'm, it's probably the thing at 34 years old I'm most proud of in my life um, is that being a part of this process of, of bringing this option to people. So it's available on iOS and Android devices. It's an application on your phone. It's called Confidant Health, uh, C-O-N-F-I-D-A-N-T Health. Um, yeah, uh, and more than even any specific resource, raise your hand and, and ask for help. There are so many people out there that suffer silently. Um, there's data from 2019 that tells us that there are there's there's 20 million people in this world that needed some sort of resource in 2019. Of those 20 million, only two million actually received them. So that means there's 18 million people out there walking around untreated. And so much of that is because of the stigma, because of the embarrassment, the shame that comes if it's associated with any of this. Mm-hmm. Don't be like me. Don't wait so many years. Raise your hand. Ask for help. There are people like myself, like Michael, you know, that, that are, 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 will drop everything that we're doing to, to give back and to help because there were people like that in our lives that did it for us. So um, as hard as it may be, yeah, raise your hand. Ask for help. I love that. Yeah. Michael, do you have anything to add to that? Yeah, I mean, I, I just I'm back off that once again, you know, I mean, and, and that, that's what it's about, you know, first identifying that you have a problem, you know, and, and you realize that, you know, and put your pride to the side, humble yourself enough, defy gravity, throw your hand in the sky and seek that help. Because you know what? I never thought it was out there. I found out the hard way, you know, I mean, obviously, I can find everything out the hard way, right? And uh, it's out there. The help is out there. It's just how bad do you want it, you know? And uh, let me take that back. It's not how bad do you want Because I know struggling that you do realize and identify. And I apologize for saying that. That was wrong. I shouldn't have said that. But um, it, it's just, it's not how bad do you want it. It's, it, it's getting comfortable and in tune with yourself and, and humbling yourself enough to seek that individual that you can trust to where you can open up to, you know? And I live my life off of this today. Well, actually, there's a couple of things, but these are the two most important. Years ago, I was in, I was in the Carl Robinson facility up in Enfield, and it was June 17th, two days after my dad passed away, 2017, and 
the officers used to let me go outside, sweep up a little patio thing and everything, and then unlock the door, let me back in, because I had that trust, you know? And I remember I'm just out there meditating, you know, just because they knew my father just passed away and my best friend just got killed three weeks before that and everything. And I remember listening to the traffic go by. And and I don't know if it's a famous quote, I don't, I don't know. It just went through my head. Maybe I read it somewhere years ago, but there's a reason why I came back in and it went somewhere like this. You never know what you want to be until you become what you don't want to be. You know? And, and I'll never forget that. I don't, I don't know why that went through my head. I don't know why. I don't know if I saw it so many years ago and it finally came back to the play. And I live off of that. Because I know what I want to be today because I once became what I don't want to be. You know? And and also my, my other favorite thing um, is we are the author to our own story, Book of Life. However we want it to read is how it's going to read. You know? And, and yeah, that, that's, yeah. I like, I like both of those quotes. Those Thank are really you. great. I love that. I mean, I've covered most of at least the questions that I had on here. Is there anything else that either of you wanted to touch on that maybe we didn't get to? Or if you have any questions for me, we always ask people that. Um, anything like that that you want to bring up before we wrap up? I think we covered a lot. I think, oh. I think I'm, I'm happy. With, yeah. Um, yeah, I'm happy with I'm the really happy. information that's out there. Yeah, so. I feel like people are going to get a lot of information out of this and I and I love that biggest thing is just like don't give up on people and, and, and don't give up on yourself too that's the both biggest things. thing because I, I know the pain of giving up on myself you know and oh, you know, it's, it's, it's horrible you know I, like I said earlier I couldn't look myself in the mirror you know despite the fact that I lost all my hair in jail and I gained a couple pounds I like what I see in the mirror today you know I'm happy you know I've yeah. been living in a financially stable, you know, million dollars in the bank. No, I'm still establishing, I'm still loving, but I, above all, I love life today, you know, and I love the fact that I had the opportunity, whatever it's out there for a higher power, gave me that chance again at life, you know, and, and show me there's a better way, there's this and that, and I've applied myself so much, you know, to, to changing, and now I have the ability to try to come out and help other people with the change, you know, because like I said earlier, I couldn't take that help from somebody trying to tell me how to change my life and they don't know what it is. They're probably going home and drink and do all this other crazy stuff and everything, you know? So with a clear mind and, and, and a clean body and everything, you know, I just, whatever I could do to help, man, you know, whether it's this, coming out here. I was supposed to be up here yesterday with the Brian Cody's thing and everything. I had big issues. It was, it was awesome. And, it really yeah, was. I was, was watching all the live videos he was supposed to. I made my mom go out there and record a bunch of stuff, yeah, you know? It, it was and, great. You know, I text Anthony Morrissey, you know, and, I was in the hospital and stuff like that, stomach issues and stuff. So, so I couldn't make it. He's like, man, self care is what it's about. Mm-hmm. Care yourself first. He goes, we're always going to be here, you know. And, and I just, I look forward to anything positive today in this world and helping people, you know. Yeah. Okay. I, I, you know, we look out the window. It's beautiful. Yes, but we get on the phone, walk through a store. The disrespect and people complain about how ugly this world is every day. And then the posts on Facebook, the social medias, the Twitters, the tweets, whatever all the stuff the kids are doing these days. I don't know. I don't keep up with it. And uh, but they post all this negative stuff about the negative stuff. Mm-hmm. Post a picture of you smiling next to a flower. Open the door for an old lady. Open the door for a young guy, young girl, whoever. Make people smile. Love life today. You know? Yeah. And that's what it's about. Everyone complains about how ugly things are. So change it. Yeah. And that's what I'm here to do. Mm-hmm. I love that. I, I, don't, I, for that. I don't really have a necessarily a question for you guys, but I do want to make a comment. And 
I have been doing this type of work now for a, a decent amount of time, and I've primarily in Connecticut, and I've traveled around to many, many different towns that are for you know prevention, treatment, the, the recovery, the whole thing, and what's happening in New Milford. I tell this story a lot, and um, and it's important to understand how far the town of New Milford has come. Five years ago, when we were first starting our, our parent support groups, we came to New Milford because it, things were bad here, right? We were seeing the deaths happen. We were see, reading it in the newspaper. We knew that this community was hurting. And we went and we had a meeting with a bunch of uh, officials from the town, and all we wanted them to do was carry a, a business card that's the same size as a normal business card with a phone number on it. We wanted the first responders to have this business card so that if they went out on an overdose call or any call that was related to substances, those people would have something, someone to call, somebody to, to, to vent to, anything. And the response was is that they didn't have enough room in the, uh, the ambulances and police cruisers. That was no joke. That was the response. And now, right, but now, that was five, six years ago. Now, I've never seen a town. I tell all the other towns in Connecticut, you want a model on how to do this? Look at New Milford. And I'm not, I'm not, and I'm not just saying that because I'm doing a, a New Milford Youth Agency podcast. That's the God's honest truth. You have a mayor who cares very, very much. You have people and organizations um, that go that extra mile. And I can tell you, the first responders now have our cards. That's <laughs> uh, awesome. Um, and, and things are changing and things are moving in a positive direction. If if not many other places, definitely here in, in New Milford. So you guys and have a lot to be proud of. Well, thank you so much. I know even the youth agency, we just started free counseling here, which I think was a huge step in the right direction that, you know, it's another resource for people listening, you know, youth agencies here. And I love that we added that, you know, it's one thing to talk about it. It's another to actually Put in a program that's like here we have the resource here like you know come to us and so thank you so much that's a that's a great compliment to get for new milford yeah, that's absolutely awesome too and, and that goes my favorite the triple d's dedication drive and desire so, you know what i mean here take this card i don't know we don't have space for that you know what i mean well and i and i grant it it is a while ago and things have changed but that goes to show like how i was talking about before in the system the prison and everything yeah. how much do you really care you know what i mean yeah. and, and that's what it comes down to and nobody's going to really care. I'm not going to say nobody, but some people won't care until things hit home. Yep. You know, 100%. until you know somebody that's battled the addiction, unfortunately passed away through an overdose or drunk driver or something. You know, you know what I mean? And and that's what it takes. And it's so sad to say that, that that's what it takes is for people to really open their mind to the reality until something hits home. You know, mm -hmm. so and, and 100%. And I, I commend you. Wholeheartedly, you know, about getting that able to be done, you know, taking the cars. It's something so small and simple, you know what I mean? But that can make the biggest impact, you know? Sure. And that's, that's, that's awesome, man. I'm, I'm, I'm so happy yeah. with this today. Yeah, I'm, I, I love this. It was awesome. It was awesome, really yeah. great. Stacy, did you have anything that you wanted to add? No, I love the dedication, drive, and desire. That, um, that's a, a great quote for this podcast. Um, I think you reminded me of the, um, the drug take back box too, which is also available at the New Milford Police Department 24 hours a day. I know a lot of communities still don't even have that, um, which is a great way to prevent prevent people getting a hold of um, unwanted substances. So um, that's always still available too. And our emergency responders carry Narcan, 
Um, and we have Justin Coleman oh, just from the community care coordinator, our community care coordinator. So this community has really stepped up. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah, we did a podcast with Justin and his work is, it's yeah, it's incredible. And hopefully other towns can you know, start implementing these programs and things. But thank you both so much for being Absolutely. here today and talking and sharing your story. Of course. Thank yeah, you thank so you. much. This has been awesome.